Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Radical environmentalists have a problem. Many of their policies are unpopular, and even a unified democratic government aligned with them can only advance so many restrictions on personal choice, industrial activity, and employment opportunities before it provokes a public revolt. But the environmentalists have one weird trick to get around public opposition, the courts. Joining me to discuss the tactics that environmentalists are pursuing to have judges force their policies on the rest of us is Capital Research Center's research specialist, Robert Stilson. Uh, Robert, thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Mike. So, so what's, what's the background here? They, what's, what's, the, what's the idea? They just sue to get their way? Yeah. It's, uh, so what's going on right now, there's about 20 of these lawsuits, um, roughly, in the country right now that are being filed actually by governmental entities. So, um, and didn't, and, and wasn't one of them recently, like there was a decision related to it at the Supreme court. Yes. Okay. So that, yeah, that was the Baltimore. Um, that was a pretty narrow procedural, um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't on the merits of the case. It was just some technical legal thing. No, you know, the background there is the defendants, which are the oil and gas companies tend to want these cases in federal courts. The plaintiffs, which are the governmental entities, the states, the localities and the cities and counties tend to want them in state court. And 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 so, and, and in both in the way Maryland chooses its and this has a lot to do with the way Maryland chooses its judges. Maryland uh, Maryland judges are elected, so uh, you know, do the math. A Baltimore judge elected by the voters of Baltimore is probably going to be really left wing. <laughs> sure, yeah, and and uh, yeah, so that was the uh, that was what the Supreme Court ruled on. It didn't really reach the merits, but. In fact, most of these cases haven't reached the merits yet because it's such a new phenomenon, right? This campaign of litigation, and uh, most of them have just been filed within the last few years. And so, the central contention for all of these suits is basically boils down to that major oil and gas companies, you know, the ones you've heard of, Exxon, BP, World Dutch Shell, Chevron, you know, that over you know however many years they've known that their products, the consumption, the burning of their products, fossil fuels cause climate change and then allegedly took some sort of step to either you know ignore or downplay this information and that because they did this so say the lawsuits they need to be they should be liable for i mean collectively billions of dollars in um uh, mitigation costs that these governments claim that they're going to have to incur this is this is basically that this is the tobacco model yeah very similar yeah and that's in fact the parallel that's often drawn between these uh, especially on the plaintiff side Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, these uh, that's all, you know, that's been in the news. I, I think what's less known to the general public is that, you know, a lot of times it's not clear exactly in how many of these suits, but it's clear, you know, in some of these suits to some extent that they're being, even though they're being brought by governmental entities, that they're being sort of encouraged, facilitated, and at least in one case that I'm aware of, financially supported by private nonprofit activist groups, which are in turn bankrolled by private philanthropy, right? Yeah, so, so, how can, does, so how does this work in what, like, you have, you had an article at capitalresearch.org for us um, that discussed one of, one of these cases. I think it was what, Hoboken, New Jersey? Hoboken, that's right. Yeah, Hoboken City um, filed their lawsuit against a, a number of oil and gas companies, and it was, it was for hundreds of millions. And that was towards the end of, um, towards the end of last year, towards the end of 2020. And, and that's a great example because, um, that's one of the cases, you know, they announced their lawsuit in a city press release, right? And they say, this is what we've done. But in that press release, they say, by the way, you know, this isn't going to cost Hoboken taxpayers anything because our legal fees for this lawsuit are being 
partially funded by an organization, a 501c3 nonprofit called the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. And then the other part was, you know, the contingency fee arrangement. But that's mm. that's notable because that's a that's a private nonprofit activist group that's partially subsidizing a public governmental lawsuit against a business that that activist group opposes. And that, that's mm. the key part of this that I think isn't being um, isn't fully understood. So who are the Institute for Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development, you said? Right. That's the parent nonprofit. And this is where kind of the structure, the nonprofit structure becomes relevant. So the actual program, the initiative, I think it's called, uh, is something called the Center for Climate Integrity. And that's an initiative within the nonprofit, the um, Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. And they're the ones, and like I said, it's not clear they're one of many uh, groups that are kind of engaged in facilitating these sort of lawsuits, but um, and it's not clear to what extent they're doing it in all of the cases that have been brought, but they, you know, it's clear they're doing it in some of them, right? So Center for Climate Integrity is a project of the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. Its funding is kind of difficult to pin down, right? Um, so just you know, the way this work when you're looking at funding mm. to initiatives of nonprofits, right? You, when, it, when a grant is made from a foundation or another nonprofit entity, it's often reported as a grant to the parent nonprofit, not to the project. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be, a, it'd be a, typically a grant to the parent nonprofit. And then if it's general support, you wouldn't have any idea that that, that money was being used on the initiative. Exactly. And that's a perfect example um, of what we're looking at here. So just, I'll give you, so if you're trying to figure out, okay, how much um, how much is the Center for Climate Integrity receiving for these projects, right? How, what, what's their funding? You will see grants made to the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. Now, occasionally those will be earmarked for um, for the Center for Climate Integrity. For example, the largest one we found is from a, uh, it's actually an international foundation called the Children's Investment Fund Foundation. And they made a $7 million grant to the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. Is, is Children's Investment Fund Foundation, is that the one that's run by the guy who f also funds Extinction Rebellion? Yeah, I think... Uh, I, do I, think I, am, I am now I am now going to play bad podcast host and look something up as I'm... as I am... Uh, uh, but continue on with, with, the, with the funding as I, as I look this up. Sure, yeah. It's Christopher Hahn is the... Uh, is the uh, he's a billionaire uh, hedge fund manager from Great Britain who's who's the funder of this foundation. But um, anyway, so they gave about seven million to the Center for Climate Integrity. Um, and to to answer my own question, the answer is yes. Children's Investment Fund <laughs> Foundation also contributed one hundred fifty thousand pounds, roughly one hundred ninety six thousand dollars, to Extinction Rebellion, the radical environmental uh, direct action group. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, if memory serves. That was they're the group that. Shut down the tube in London. They they, they do they have they have at various times protested on public transport, which doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that, that's the biggest funder we've found for this sort of litigation uh, campaign to CCI specifically. The other big one, which kind of illustrates the the issue with tracking funding to projects of nonprofits, is the Rockefeller Family Fund, right? Um, so if you look at their 2017 and 2018 filings. The Rockefeller Family Fund gave something over three million to the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. Mm -hmm. Now, a little more than two thirds of that was specifically, you know, most of that, we'll say, was specifically earmarked for the Center for Climate Integrity. But the rest of it was just said, you know, for you know, climate education and litigation generally, right? And that's the purpose of the Center for Climate Integrity. So you might infer from context that that's where the money went, but but you can't always be sure. 
right. those are the those are the big sources of funding we've been able to track. And you know, Rockefeller, of course, is ironic because that's one of the philanthropies established by the Rockefeller family, which is of course yeah, which made it which made its money in oil. Exactly, that's Standard Oil, and uh, you know, Exxon is a descendant of of Standard Oil. You know, a, a corporate descendant, I should say, of, of John D. Rockefeller Standard Oil. So yeah, those are the big ones. Mm-hmm. So, so let's walk through sort of where these lawsuits have gone when they have been filed. Uh, you you mentioned that again. We we noted that the that the one from Baltimore was, you know, has been in has been tied up in procedural, uh, you know, procedural argy bargy that just went to the Supreme Court. Um, you know, have any you know. Has there been any sort of movement on the merits of these cases? Uh, comparatively little. So yeah, that's the big thing to remember is we're still in the procedural phase. These things bounce between federal and state court and then up and down the federal courts. A few have been heard on the merits. We're talking like two or three. Um, New York City just had theirs. I think theirs is the most recent to have been dismissed on the merits. That was in April, although I think they've since filed another one. The um, city of Oakland, California, I believe, um, their suit was dismissed back in 2018 uh, by a district court out there. And, you know, the reasoning is sort of probably is intuitive, probably what you'd think, right? I mean, on the one hand, it's just greenhouse gas emissions and what to do about them is just, it's simply not a judicial issue, right? It belongs in the political branches. Right, of right. Government. It's for, it's for, it's for elected officials and the, di- the direction of elected executives and the, uh, the legislation passed by elected legislators, right? Accountable to the people that whatever they pass is going to impact, and and, and because they're going to be, ma- you know, when they're obviously, if if they there were to, if a uh, a jurisdiction were to take really substantial, the sort of really substantial like banning natural gas type policies that a lot of these radical environmentalists want, they're going to be massive trade offs. <laughs> Exactly. And, and of course, you've got to set, you know, the idea of our system of government, right, is that should be sold to the populace who elects the leaders who are going to make these policies. So, and who, can, that, and who can then, you know, if they don't like the trade-offs or if they think that it's gone too far, can elect new leaders who would, uh, you know, who would move back the other direction or who would change the, the approach or so on and so forth. That's exactly right. So I think, so that's one thing that I think the courts are recognizing when they've reached the merits on this. And the other, the other piece that's been opined on in at least one of these cases that I've read that's hit the merits is uh, you know, there's a fairness issue here, right? And I think this will be intuitive to people too. You know, think about what, you know, at bottom, what you're trying to say here is that the, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say the singular products that most enabled the development, the, the, the industrial development of the 20th century. Well, back, back to the, the 19th, 19th it's cold. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, um, those products that were universally demanded, fully legal, are continue to be, it's not a stretch to say, utterly necessary to our modern world, you know, it's its just not fair to say that selling those products to people who demanded them and then used them should give rise to liability on for the producers of those products. I think, I think that's intuitive to people. I think that's been intuitive to the courts. And I think that's kind of the crux of the issue here. So... Um... Yes, yeah, so we've so again we've you know we've discussed the the separation of powers problem. We've discussed uh, some of the backers of of Center for Climate Integrity. Uh, you know we've so 
then there, I guess there's the question, obviously, we have the new government, uh, the Biden administration in, in power, uh, backed by the environmentalists. Have they taken any sort of position on this, or are they trying to play neutral? Yeah, I, I mean, right now, I think for a lot of people, especially on the plaintiff side of this, that's the million, million dollar That's question. the environmentalist side. Yeah, exactly, the environmentalist side. Um, because certainly the Biden administration, particularly his Justice Department and Attorney General, are under pressure not only from activist groups, but from members of Congress and the President's party to you know, somehow come out more forcefully in support of this these lawsuits, whatever that means, whether that means mm-hmm. filing briefs, you know, I, it would fulfill... Um, a campaign pledge that Biden made uh, back, you know, before the election, he part of his platform, if I recall correctly, was to strategically support uh, these kinds of plaintiff-driven climate lawsuits. And then, and then you had the long-standing. I mean, you remember back from the Obama administration, the whole idea of sue and settle, where the government, where the environmentalists would sue the government, and then the government would say, "Oh yes, we give up, uh, and we agree to a settlement on the on the environmentalist terms." Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, so what exactly this is going to look like under a Biden administration is still up in the air. It's very much a question I think a lot of people are interested in. Although, I, you know, it's I will point out, I think whatever role the Biden administration ends up playing in these sort of uh, lawsuits against energy companies, I do think it'll be more of a political statement on behalf of the administration than really like influential on the outcome of the case. Right. Because the judges and the injustices, if it has to go to the Supreme Court, they're still going to need to look at the facts and the laws, and, and they're very good at applying those. And so I think the any influence the federal government will have in trying to get behind these suits, if they decide to do so, would be more a, a statement by the president's administration uh, than anything else. Mm-hmm. And then, so I guess in, in in closing, sort of where do, where does this where does this lead? Do you see this taking off more? Do you? I mean, obviously, you're talking about the Rockefellers and uh, Children's Investment Fund Foundation, according to the data that I'm looking at, although it's 2015, so it's probably gone up since then, you know, has $141 million in, in assets. Uh, Rockefellers have way more than that. You know, is this kind of a thing that's going to be with us for a while? You know, so I, it's relatively new. These are relatively new lawsuits, right? And just mm-hmm. within the last few years, this campaign has really taken off. So it takes time for these things to work through the courts, especially when you're, when so much of the procedural questions have to be taken care of before you get to the merits. So I think we're in for a few more years at this, probably. Um, and from there, it'll sort of depend on what the rulings are and which courts rule on them, right? You, can, mm-hmm. you have, you know, once they work up through the district courts to the various circuit courts, if you get a ruling on there that's pretty definitive, that'll that'll take care of some of the lower level cases in the various district courts that have been filed. So I think there's money's not an issue. Uh, I think there's plenty of of financing to take these as far as they will go. I think right now we're just waiting on some a series of definitive rulings on the merits that really uh, flesh out where the law will. So stand. we're we're we're, wait, we're waiting on sort of a body of precedent to be created. That's, that's exactly right. I think that that's where, where we need to go. And I'm sure we're still a couple of years away from that because, you know, like I said, a lot of these were just filed in 2020 or even 2021 or, um, you know, some of the ones farthest back were just only a few years ago. So mm-hmm. we still have some, some distance to go, I think. All right. Uh, well, Robert, is there anything you want to promote before we let you go? Um, yeah, the, the article is available on Capital Research Center's website. And um, we will link it in the show notes. 
Yeah. Um, so just direct anybody who's interested to that. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me on. All right. Well, thank you again for joining us, Robert. And that's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.